Now, less than two weeks that China, one of the largest economies in the world, is getting ready to celebrate the Chinese New Year. Of course, today, when we talk about China, it's not just about the political changes, but more interestingly speaking, people are in, in also interested regarding the Chinese culture, especially for children. Now, think about this. More and more children today are very much interested in learning about the Chinese history and also the originality of the Chinese culture. However, today, we only can find few of the good books or resources can really grasp the Chinese culture, no only can tell the full scope of the story and also bring the stories alive. Now, ladies and gentlemen, it's my great honor to invite our distinguished speaker today, which is Paula Zhou. Now, Paula Zhou used to live in China since the year of 1998. And of course, that this time I invite Paula back on the show to specifically talk about her new children's book, which is entitled The Great Animal Race. And we're going to talk to Paula regarding her inspiration to write the book and why do you think it's essential for younger generations today to embrace the Chinese culture in a more significant way. Well, ladies and gentlemen, Paula, and welcome to The Missing Piece. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you, Will. Well, Paula, the pleasure is all mine. Again, as we mentioned before, initially when I discovered you, because this amazing book, and should I say it's a rather interesting and also engaging book that you created and you designed, for children, which is called The Great Animal Race. Now, help us to understand what inspired you to come up with such an idea, wanted to tell the stories, of, particularly of the Chinese cultural stories, to children in this um, unique and, should I say, creative way. And why do you think people are more interested in the Chinese culture in this way? Great, yeah. Well, as you mentioned, Will, I've been living in China since 1998 and I've been working with children all of that time. So I'm a Montessori teacher and teacher trainer. So I've always been working with young children from the, um, from birth really to six years age group. And, um, I think that, you know, when I first came to China, one of the very first things that people used to ask me was what animal I was. And I didn't understand what that meant. Yeah. Well, what, what do you mean? What animal am I? And so it's really one of the first things that lots of people ask you when you come to China, like what animal are you and what, what year were you born in? And so finding out my animal and understanding what, what that really meant and what the Chinese zodiac was, was about was, was really exciting for me for when I first came to China in my early twenties and then working with children over the years every year at Chinese New Year I would be wanting to tell a story and I remember that one of um, my students when I or one of my friends when I first came to China had told me a story of the Chinese zodiac mm. and I uh, used to try to retell the story you know using my own words um to the children that I was working with and every year I just tweak 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 it a little bit and make it maybe a little bit more uh full and then i had my own children and i was still like oh, i was still searching for books to tell the story in english because i was working with um in an international school so i was looking for for books to to teach the story in english and i could never really find something that was really engaging mm. so uh over the years i started to add a little bit more to the book and then uh, a couple of years ago i think two years ago now i decided to actually write it all down and 
they sent it off to a couple of publishing houses and I got the like, oh, thanks, it's lovely, but, mm, you know, lots of answers like that. And then this year, a publishing house contacted me and said that they would like to publish. So I was really excited um, to be able to really get this story out to a wider audience and get more and more children to be able to read it. Mm. It's written in rhythm and rhyme. So I've, because I've worked with children for such a long time, I know that children really engage in, in rhythm and, and in a rhyming, um, mm. prose really. So that it's, it's re really that, that, the, the children are really getting that, um, rhythm in the story. So they connect with the story. They, they can actually remember the story a little bit more. I think when it's in rhythm as well, it's like songs. Yeah. They get stuck in our head. So, um, so it's all written in rhythm and, and I think that that way you'll really get to um, engage more with more and more children and have a have a wider audience all over the world. Yeah. Well, Paula, I have to say that as a parent myself, that I right now I have a daughter who's three years old and also the second one is on the way. But again, when oh, I die... <laughs> well, trust me, it's very exciting, <laughs> but also it's very nerve-wracking at this moment. But you know, when I again going back to your book, again, I found it so interesting the theme of animals and also the theme of storytelling. You know, when mm. I was a child, I still remember that my parents, their generation, used the mechanism of storytelling to engage with my daily life and also help me to understand some of the uh, life principles and, you know, the, some of the principles on moralities. But again, Paula, going back to your own experience that you live in China since the year of 1998, but we're looking at the year of 2022 or 2023. Now, help us to understand what is the significant part of storytelling despite all those years and despite the generations. Why do you think for children it is still so powerful to use stories to engage with them. Of course, that in your book, it's not just about the story. It's about these wonderful illustrations and wonderful images and pictures. So that really created imagination with the storytelling as well. So help us to understand what is the impact or what is the psychological aspect of storytelling, particularly for younger generations, or should I say younger learners? I think storytelling, it just... Uh, it's magical, yeah. Is that uh, firstly you can can really engage, and it really mm, builds this relationship up between the storyteller and the, and the listener. Whoever's mm. listening, there's this this incredible relationship. So for parents and their children, and for teachers and the children that they work with, it helps to build this very strong relationship. And of course, when you have a strong relationship, then everything else is much better in your life, yeah. So that's all that's all life is about. It's the relationships that we have with one another really mm. so so this storytelling really helps to build these strong relationships we build empathy um between the storyteller and the listener when we're when we're when we start telling stories and of course when we when we learn something or when we um, are introduced some kind of new content through the medium of a story then we we 
we remember that content mm. so much more than if it's a very dry content so than if it's told through characters then we remember those characters we remember the relationship that those characters had and we remember the moral of the story we remember all of those little idiosyncrasies so that we can um you know if we just told something very flat and dry then mm, it's, it, it doesn't have the same impact on us because it impacts mm. on our emotional well-being being as well it, it, it impacts on the emotions that we have so we remember it so much more and like you said well you you remember things from when you were a child because mm. you were told through stories and of course we all remember those things and we have we remember that you know sitting with a with a grandparent or a parent and cuddling up we remember that warmth we remember the smells we remember all of that because there's something so much so so very special about the bonds that we create when we're telling stories so it it has a very special impact on the brain and it it's really important for brain development when we're having these uh when we're having this this connection through through telling stories and it's not just for children we know that even as adults when we're learning if we're sitting in a lecture hall and the professor tells us a story <laughs> then we're going to be so much more engaged and we're mm. going to be listening so much more intently and of course that's adults as well as children but of course we know for children it's super super important mm. yeah well you yeah. know paula i have to say that you your book really pick on one of the challenging but again it's interesting uh, uh aspect of the chinese culture because we know that even as a chinese national myself when we look at or when I try to explain the Chinese zodiacs, not just to children, but also to adults, conversation can get more either interesting or challenging or should I say difficult because people tend to ask more questions. But again, Paula, the next question is among all the Chinese cultural elements, among all the Chinese cultural aspect, and despite that what you experience personally, why did you pick Chinese zodiacs instead of other elements, instead of other fairy tales? Because again, we're, we're looking at a country which is enriched with more than five thousands of years of history. And, and the animals surely it's are interesting. Animals surely are unique for children, but, but you can pick anything else. So again, going back to the theme, why animal race and what is particular uh, um, hidden messages or should I say the secrecy behind the titles? Hmm. So I think number one, it's just a start. You know, I love Chinese history and I love all of the different folktales. So maybe next year we'll have another one. But, <laughs> but the, the great animal race, I think, as you said, animals is really, uh, children connect with animals. They mm. have this special innate relationship with everything that's living and everything that breathes. And I think that um, that with this connection, it's really easy to help to, it's, it's, for me, it's my first book. So it was it was uh, maybe to help children to have this connection. Mm. We, we know that children love animals. I don't think I've ever met a child who doesn't, who's not like so fascinated by mm. by animals and, and, and or all of the other wildlife that's out there. 
So um, I think that this is is definitely one of the reasons why I chose the the, the great animal race and the and the Chinese zodiac. I don't go into too much depth about um, the different characteristics of all of the animals of the Chinese zodiac mm. because of the age that I that I'm that I'm aimed at for this. But um, I think that I want it to be really a, a, a place where it sparks interest for children to find out more as they grow and get more get more in, uh, um, um, understanding about the about the world. I think. But yeah, definitely there'll be others. I'm so interested in Chinese Chinese history and 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 culture that there'll definitely be others at a later time. I think. <laughs> well, Paul, yeah. I can sense this passion and drive from you towards the Chinese culture. But let's go back to your book. Now, we know today we are living in the age of digitalization. Again, needless to yeah. say that children, I mean, personally speaking, I can't tell you how many times that I tried to convince my three-year-old daughter to stop looking at the cell phone or stop staring at the computer screen or should I say any digital platforms or, you know, uh, this, uh, what they call the tablets. But right now, again, going going back to my own experience with my, my parents, even though my parents were busy when I was young, but I remember my mother specifically took time to read books with me. But of course, today, there seemed to be a debate whether we're supposed to push children to read through digital platforms or we're supposed to have this handheld or printed books. But again, to me, I believe, I mean, again, I'm excited about your book because I know that when I uh, have your book or any other books in the hands, I'm able to sit down with my daughter, able to sit down with her and look at the pages and feel uh, the paper, you know, just get the sensation excited. So how yeah. do you think that today we're supposed to emphasize the importance of literacy among children without losing the beauty of digitalization or how should we balance the importance yeah. i mean the importance between reading and also exposing to the digital platforms what do you think paul yeah um okay so i think that um that reading of any kind is just super super important mm. and if you choose to re read on a device then I, I I think as long as children are having exposure to to literature and mm. having exposure to to reading and of of any kind, it's really important. The problem with with devices is, and you know, I don't I choose not to use devices with, with my own children when they were younger, mm. and and with the children that I work with. The major reason is that when you're using a device, it's so easy to be distracted with something else on mm. the device. But when you're holding a book in your hands, then it's it's not as you know you. you you're there with the book you're, That's you're interacting right. with the book turning the pages the smell of the book all of this is creating that memory and that and building the brain that that's that that we want with the children so um i wouldn't say like that that it's it's a terrible thing that if if you if you're using a, t a kindle or another kind of ebook e reader for children to, if it's that kind of device that's that's there to to read a book then 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 that's great but if you're using an ipad then there's going to be more distractions i think mm. because there's going to be other things on there there's going to be other there's going to be other games on there or, or or other kind of social social media that 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 there might be some kind of distraction for the child so as long as you can balance that i think it's okay but for me like lots of parents they ask me how do i get my child to read how do i get my child to love reading that's right i think that 
the number one thing is read yourself. Mm. <laughs> Children learn by seeing what other people are doing. So if you are reading yourself and if you are taking like a, a book out, an actual book to, to read, then they are going to see you reading and then they're That's going right. to... Mm, Mm. That role modeling is the absolute number one teacher for children. And I think secondly, a lot of people, they um, they reward children for reading. And I think that this is reading is a reward in itself, like mm. getting lost in a book and really finding like again, having this relationship with the characters of a book. This is reward in itself for children. So don't reward children for reading. You know, when you reward children for reading, it becomes like oh, it's a chore mm. that I need to get rewarded for. So so allow books to be the reward in itself. And that would be that's wonderful for children to get lost in a book. And I think number three for me is that I think a lot of people say to children, go and read for 20 minutes mm. and you put time limits because you want them to read. And I think with, with, in that aspect then, or, or for children when they're reading, they, they're kind of looking at the clock or when is 20 minutes up, when is 20 minutes up. Mm. Instead of just like allowing children to read organically, and then they get lost and they can be reading for like an hour one day and it might be five minutes another day, but it's 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 coming from within. They're reading because they love reading, not because somebody's told them that they need to read for 20 minutes. So mm. make it much more organic and much more holistic way of learning not and, and reading. And uh, yeah, these these three tips, I think, are, are, are really my top tips. That Number one, read yourself. That's mm. absolute, absolute number one tip. <laughs> read yourself, yeah. Well, that's a wonderful piece of advice. Well, Paula, again, I want to go back to your book. Again, your book is called The Great Animal Race because I know mm -hmm. that today when we look at literature for children, let's say, for example, Dr. Seuss or, you know, we're looking at the veggie tales or, I mean, the name can go on and on. But not only those materials that can actually teach children about something and also that it serves as a channel for adults as well. I mean, again, we are, I think I can't remember who said it before, but psychologically speaking that we are all children inside. I mean, despite our age and also our appearance and, you know, all the grown-ups. So I want to get to your point is when you create this book, The Great Animal Race, not only that teach children about the Chinese culture, not only teach any international readers about the Chinese culture, what else do you think that you intended to do, not just for children, but also for adults, to understand this critical part, or should I say, this indispensable part of the Chinese culture? I think that, yeah, when if I if I didn't know about the zodiac or if I didn't know anything about Chinese culture, I think that if I'd read this to my child, then I'm going to go off. I'm going to search more about like what it means, where it came from and what animal I am. I'm going to do a little bit more research about it. So I'm hoping that that that's what's going to happen. It's going to it's going to bridge this gap that mm. we have between different countries, countries between East and West. And I want people to understand Chinese culture a little bit more and with this understanding of Chinese culture and hopefully we're going to have a little bit more yeah with understanding a little bit more love a little bit more peace comes in yeah mm. well Paula I know your time is a very uh, precious I want to wrap up our conversation by going to the last question Paula we're looking at this what we called cross-cultural age so in other words yeah. every single country has been internationalized and fairly speaking 
Now, we know that regardless what language and what race, you know, what nationalities that you come from, when it comes to education, we always say education could actually indeed open up the world of opportunities. I mean, again, yeah. it could change people. It could transform anyone who's willing to try and who's willing to sacrifice, etc. So, Paula, from your perspective, after all those years of living in China and having this cross-cultural perspective, why do you think it's crucial today that we need to bring children back into the classroom or we need to offer much greater opportunities for children to receive good quality of, of education through reading, through uh, listening, and also through writing? Why do you think today the 21st centuries we still need to prepare them for better education so that and they are going to achieve their own successes? Mm, that's a huge question. Well. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, why education? Yeah, the education, mm, I could speak all day about this. I'll try to keep it brief. Um, so I think that, yeah, we... we, we really this this cultural education and understanding of one another that we're all human beings mm. and trying to understand a little bit more about one another that that it doesn't matter what we look like on the surface that we're all we're all human beings and that we're in this in this race together we're in the, on this planet together that we are here to care for one another mm. i think education needs to come back to this um we 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 very much we very often put but so much emphasis on academia mm. and we forget that actually the the root of education should be that we are caring for one another mm. that we are taking care of this planet together and that we are here as a race as a human race together and we're just visitors to this planet i think <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think you're right, Paula, because again, because of someone like you or the people like you who are willing to travel, willing to experience this cross cultural communication, cross cultural experiences, that so that we are no longer isolated just by our comfort zone. And again, I, I really uh, admire someone like you that who live overseas for many years and able to introduce and bring the culture not only to the Chinese kids, Chinese audience, but also across the continent. Well, I mean, ladies and gentlemen, it's my great honor to speak to Paula Joe. Again, I strongly encourage everyone to go online, look for Paula's new book, which is called The Great Animal Race. It's a wonderful, there you go, she's holding the book. It's a wonderful a piece of resource uh, for children to understand the Chinese culture. You know, again, it's written in English and also the wonderful, amazing illustrations. So, Paula, thank you so much for taking your time to be on the show. And again, if you ever decide to publish another book or another one and another one, please feel free to let us know. We love to have you back on the show as we continue to discover and study the significance of education and most importantly, how we're supposed to educate the next younger generations. Thank you, Paula, for doing this. Thank you. Thank you.